Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church Podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, good morning. Well, thank God. Well, thank God. Well, it's so wonderful to be here at our home church. This church means so much to us. We're, we're intertwined in the work of the church. My daughter, Lauren, is a teacher down at the school, and she's here every day. My other daughter, Madeline, she's a Southeastern, and the, and the church supports Southeastern so much. My son, Joseph, is pioneering a church in Charlotte called Neighborhood Church, and this church is a mentor and, and a support, great support and encouragement to him. My son, Kenan, works in, a, in another one of our church plants, and, and uh, we're so, so happy to be here on this particular Sunday. And every time I come, and I thank Dr. Doug Withert for the invitation and continuing the tradition of this Sunday being uh, for JPM, I wanted to give you some reports. I, I sat down with my calendar and my computer last night, and it, it may bore you, but it, it took a lot of work to do this. So give me 30 seconds, and I'll tell you that in the last 11 and a half years since Dr. Rick Ross invited me to that Starbucks for a cup of coffee, in 11 and a half years, this is what's happened. We have, we have uh, presented 87 altar calls as Ebenezer Scrooge. In fact, Mia, who was up here with the red sweater, she and Tim Caskey, who's in the media department, we, we rented an RV this month, and we traveled to 14 places, did 14 shows from Fort Walton Beach all the way to Muskegon, Michigan, and 294 people came to know Jesus as their Savior. That was birthed right here on this stage at CFA. So there's that. I've uh, been able to see some other things that have taken place. Uh, we've ministered in 176 churches in six different countries, 30, uh, 25 states, 166 cities to 333,885 people, 1,369 times, and 7,093 people came to know the Lord as our Savior in the last seven years. We give God all the praise for that. And there are a couple of images I'll show you before I preach that kind of motivate me as an evangelist. One is a train. I don't know if you've ever seen a train like this where they're just so, humanity is packed so tightly that you can't get another foot anywhere. Every, when I go on a trip and leave my family, I kind of think about this train, that there is a train bound for heaven, and my job is to load as many people on as possible. And the other, the other image is a canoe or a kayak. I was a 15-year-old, and my neighbor, an old man, took me way, way out in the Lake of the Ozarks, parked his bass boat, and then went down another tributary in a creek in, in my canoe. We caught 15 white bass. They fought like crazy. It was amazing, my favorite day of fishing. And that's how I look at my job, too. It's not always big stages and huge churches like this. In fact, this past summer, I went to Enterprise, Alabama. 13% of the morning congregation accepted Jesus. Don't get so excited. There were only 16 people in the room. <laughs> I drove 1,100 miles. It cost me more than, than I, I was uh, paid. They did the best they could, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But two of the people, that, the two people that accepted the Lord, one was a high school kid whose parents were going through a horrible divorce, and another was a, a lady from Florida just visiting for the first time. That's going back into the tributaries. And you all helped me. This is the best offering that I get every single year. If you give it to JPM and any other offering, they apply that to our generous missions contribution, but 100% of this offering goes 
to JPM, and let me tell you what we're going to do with it. We're, we're raising $10,000. I've already bought five tickets to Bangkok, Thailand. Tim Kasky and I are going to go. There's an actor, a filmmaker, and an assistant. We've written a production called Aren't You Somebody? And we're going over there. There's 30 Thai actors waiting on us in 15 days to go over there and shoot that. We're going to shoot a missions project that will tra uh, highlight sex trafficking. And I believe many, many people are going to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we're going to apply this offering to that. Again, I thank uh, Dr. Doug. Oh, also, uh, I've got a book out there. You, a lot of you have already bought this. Can I just encourage you to buy some more? I mean, seriously. I mean, you can get this on Amazon for $13, but today and today only, here's a special CFA deal. One book, $20. <laughs> but if you buy this book for $20, I'm going to send a copy to an adolescent drug addict or an adult drug addict somewhere in a teen child center in America. We've sent several cases around the country. Here are some boys in North Carolina. There's some girls coming up on the screen from uh, South Alabama, and then there's some ladies from Georgia that have received the book. And I've been told that it's been a great encouragement to people, so there's that. Thank you all again, and thank you for that warm reception. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30, what a great crowd. Man, this is, this is an amazing crowd for that weird Sunday between New Year's and Christmas. It's like that 400 years between the Old and New Testament, you know. <laughs> We've, uh, we've sang about you, Lord. we sung about you that we want the Spirit to come down and, and we pray to that end today. And Jewel Massey and our prayer partners are praying over this service. And I agree with all their prayers that, God, you're going to come down and speak to us and anoint us. And there are people in this room that have kind of suppressed the discouragement. They've kind of tamped it down into their spirit. And you're going to draw it out of them today and help them deal with that. You're going to help them and you're going to bless them and you're going to encourage them. And for some, you're going to give revelation, insight, and a vision to do more in 2019 than they ever thought possible for the glory of God. So I'm asking for your great help, Lord. I need you as much today as I ever have in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So help me today. In Jesus' holy name, and everybody said... October 24th, 1929 was called Black Thursday, preceded Black Tuesday, I believe. And it, it was the day that the stock market had a horrific adjustment, crashed. And on that horrible Thursday, Americans lost more money in five hours than was spent on the entire World War I operation combined. Will Rogers was in New York, and he said, that commentator said, he, it was a, he's a satirist, so it wasn't exactly true, but he said so many people were, were dying that day that you had to stand in line to get an open window to jump out of in New York City. <laughs> and there were people that lost $4 million. Imagine the fortune that was in 1929. It's a fortune now. One guy owned a gas company, lost $4 million. He laid down on the table and turned the gas on took his own life. My message today is, what do you do when you lose everything? That was a horrible, horrible day. And I wrote this for, the, for, for Deeper, the service Deeper, in April, and it means more to me today than it did when I wrote this material and started studying it. On August the 16th of this year, my only brother-in-law, Danny Durham, uh, 
no body fat, 10-mile-a-day runner, was on a, a long run and uh, right behind the school that he was the athletic director of. He, he fell down and died. They said he was, he was gone before he hit the ground. I preached his funeral three days later. There were 2,000 people there. We want to live our lives in such a way that the preacher doesn't have to lie at our funeral. Well, Danny Durham did that. In fact, uh, he had lived a, a life for Jesus his, his whole life. He was a great Christian, great leader. He was only at that school for six years, and they named the football field after him. But what do you do when you lose something like that? My sister-in-law was here in the first service. There's nothing you can say. There's no way to fix that. It's a gut kick. You know, it's, it's awful. David lost everything in this passage. And I want to talk about it for just a moment before we give you an opportunity to let the Lord minister to you. Verse 1, 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and sent and they went on their way. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city, and, and there, it was, there it was, burned with fire. And their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinanab the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. For some people in this room, 2018 was phenomenal. It was a banner year. It was incredible. And for others of you, and I won't have you lift your hand, you're glad to see it in the rearview mirror. Because it was tough. And if you live long enough, no matter what kind of winning streak you're on, there is loss around the corner. Babe Ruth hit more home runs than anybody until Hank Aaron beat his record. And he was considered an iconic champion, but he also had the record for strikeouts, 1,330. He led the American League five times in strikeouts. What David experienced was not like losing a football game. It was not like losing a basketball game. In fact, one coach in Deep South, that he started losing three or four games in a row, and they started off trying to take a collection to buy his contract out for $30 million. Crazy. That's not what this is. Let me tell you what this is. David, a man after God's own heart, killed Goliath the Philistine, served King Saul, and he got fired. I don't know if you've ever been fired. That's a horrible experience. He got fired. It, Saul was insane, tried to pin him to the wall. He had to run for his life, and, you know, He's like, he's like me in this regard. If I didn't preach, I don't know what I, I couldn't change a tire. I just have to go to the cheese line. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have a, a, a preaching. When you're a warrior and you get fired, what do you do? You just find somebody that will pay you to be a warrior. And that's what he did. He became a mercenary. And of all things, he let King Achish bid on him and win the contract. He says, I'll fight for you. And, and the king says, all right, I'm going to give you a city called Ziklag. It's all yours for all your 600 men and wives and children, animals, everything. David went to Jezreel to join King Achish to fight against God. 
Now, this is a man after God's own heart, going up to fight with the Philistines against God's people. When he gets there, three days' journey, 90 miles, the king calls him into the tent in the preceding chapters. He calls him in and went something like this. David, you know I like you, man. You got a lot of spunk. You got a lot of fire. And I, but I met with my boys, and we just, my team can't work with him. I'm going to have to let you go. Got fired again. Got 600 people looking at him for leadership. You talk about losing steam. Lost his job a couple times. Lost his gig. Lost his purpose. And he's marching three more days back home. He'd been killing a lot of Amalekite people. And the Amalekites found out David was away from the house. And the Amalekites were people that would go in and plunder villages and sell all the people as slaves. But when they found out David was gone, they came in, stole everything, plundered everything, took kidnapped wives and children, and burned it to the ground, baby. And so when David marches back into the city, there ain't no city. It's just smoke. And the Bible says that they wept. What do you do when you lose everything? That's a horrible loss. The Internet says there are seven stages of grief, and there are different lists that say different things, but uh, they go kind of like this. Shock and denial is the first stage. And then pain and guilt and then anger and bargaining. And you move on to depression, the upward turn, reconstruction, and finally acceptance and hope. Well, I'm not going to go to seven stages, but I, I'm going to just talk about five train stops. The last one's pretty fast, so don't get nervous. What do you do when you lose everything? Well, the first stop David made, he had to grieve. He had to grieve. He, he sat down and wept with his men until he had no more power to weep. Is there anything more incredible than to see a grown man weep? I'm talking about like a soldier, an athlete, a tough construction worker. Derrick Rose was a basketball player, and he blew out his knee several times for the Chicago Bulls and scored 50 points this season. Coming off the court, they put a microphone in his face and said, how do you feel? And the, and the man started weeping, made me want to weep, that he'd gotten his kind of his glory back that night. These men are, are weeping. And when you and I grieve, I think we got to do a couple of things. Number one, we got to own it. Now, if you lost a family member like we did, our family... You know, that's beyond our control. That we had nothing to do with that. But sometimes when we lose, we are culpable in the situation. And David had to own his situation. He, he, had, to, he had to pay the idiot tax. I know none of you have ever paid it. I've paid it enough for all of us. You know what I'm talking about? Late fee, speeding ticket, you bounced a check, you didn't, you didn't watch your stuff. He's paying severely, and he's, he's saying, I'm such an idiot. I don't know if you ever said that. But I know David in his heart said, what if I had stayed in Judah? What if I had trusted God? What if I would have never left my kids in Ziklag? What if I wouldn't attach myself to a heathen king? What if I'd have been kinder to the Amalekites? And he sat down, and he owned it. And when you grieve, not only do you own it, but you got to feel it. When you lose something, you feel it in a variety of ways. And David felt it with all five physical senses. He rode in to get a meal 
fit for a warrior, even though he was fired. And he could not taste a meal fit for a warrior. He could not feel the embrace of his wives and children. He could not see the city, but he could see the smoke. He couldn't hear his kids running and calling him daddy and playing, but he could hear the men weeping and the smell of that acrid smoke hit his nostril and he had to feel it. Now, the Bible says in Acts 8, 2, and godly men mourn greatly for Stephen. I believe it's godly to mourn. I just don't think God wants us to mourn forevermore. Ecclesiastes 3, 4 says there's a time to mourn and then there's a time to dance. This was the time to mourn and we can't skip that stage. You lost a job, you lost a marriage, you lost a deal, you lost an investment, you lost momentum. We gotta feel that. As a young man, I, I, uh, I, we suffered a tragedy in our home church in Georgia. A lady with her two elementary kids got hit by, I believe it was a drunk driver in broad daylight, killed both the kids and severely hurt the lady. And I remember going to the funeral and the dad was, was smiling the whole time and it meant something to me. He was worshiping during the thing and I thought, what a great testimony. Time reveals a lot of different things and the guy spiraled off into the weeds, left his family. And, I, and I, I'm not going to judge the man, but I, I can't help but think you cannot skip the grief stage. I told a friend, a preacher friend last Sunday who'd lost a loved one, make sure you sit and feel it. That's very important. But David didn't have a long time to grieve because the Bible says that men were picking up rocks to kill him. I mean, when you're about to have a murder committed against you, you got to figure something out. So next place is hope, hope, hope. David had to hope. The Bible says in verse 6, at the end, we didn't read that before, David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. You got, you got a hope. There's, there's a bridge to be built between grief and hope, and I believed it's paved with tears. There's something very powerful about a cry. It's all right for grown men to cry. The Bible says, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard my cry. And in Exodus, the Bible says, and the people cried out to God, and they heard their cry. He heard their cry and sent a deliverer named Moses. Deuteronomy says, employees... When you pay your people, make sure you pay them right. Lest they cry out to me, I hear it, and it's counted to you as sin. First Kings, Elijah lays across a dead boy, cries out to God, and God heard his cry and returned the life to that boy. Isaiah 30, 19 says, when you cry, God will hear your cry and send an answer. I want to show you some slides here, rapid fire. We're not going to read them. Every one of these are talking about crying out to God. Next one. Next one, next one, next one. I hope you're writing that down. Next one, next one, next one. Every single one of those about how important it is to cry out to the Lord. So David, David has a meeting. You lost everything. You, we got to have a meeting. Now, he didn't meet with the guys and say, all right, guys, listen, I know it's kind of a tough time right now. We got a webinar I want you to take a look at. Here's a blog. I want you to, I mean, here's an access code. He didn't do all that. 
The first meeting he had was with himself. He didn't expect them to encourage him. Well, I lost my wives too. Doesn't anybody care about me? He didn't encourage them. He had to get into a room and encourage himself. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself. I don't know what he said. Maybe he said something like this from Psalm 145. He's the psalmist, so maybe he said something like this. He went into a cave. He told his 10 best guys. He said, look, here's your job. All those guys picking up rocks to kill me, don't let them. I'm going to be in a cave. I got a meeting, and I'll be back out in a minute. I will extol you, oh God, my king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I'll bless you. And I'll praise your name forever and ever, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and declare your mighty acts. And I, even on today, God, I'll meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness even today. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious, thank you, God, full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works, even over my children right now if they're afraid. All your saints shall bless you, Lord, and all your works shall declare your praise. All right, boys, I had a meeting. I'm ready to go. Bring me the ephod. Bring me Abiathar the priest. And the Bible says that he inquired of the Lord. Verse 7, they brought him the ephod. Verse 8, he inquired, saying, shall I pursue the troop? Shall I over?" Take them. Stop right there. See God in this picture. See his stance in this picture. He is not the petulant child some of you might think he is. David, mercenary, going up to fight against God, is now inquiring of God, should I get my stuff? Should I get my family? And God doesn't say, oh, well, real nice of you to ask me now. Oh, wow. Now you want to know. No. Well, you should have asked me that before. I'll let you figure it out, Dave. <laughs> Look at God's stance in this. Look at his stance. Should I, should, I inquire, should I pursue the troop? And God answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. That's, that's the, the father on the, on the front porch with the prodigal kid running to greet him. He didn't count all the idiot tax stuff against him. He said, I'm giving you a promise. Go get your stuff and you won't fail. When I read that, I thought, we might be losers, but we don't have to be failures. What a promise it was. So he hoped. He got his answer. He got his promise. And then when you do that, you got to do something else. You got to act. You got to act. It's not enough just to hope. You got to act. Look what the Bible says. And I read it off of this screen because I can't see it off that one. <laughs> you get to be my age. So David went. He and 600 men who were with him came to Brook Besor. And there were those stayed who were left behind. And David pursued. He and 400 men for 200 stayed behind. They were so weary that they could not cross the Brook Besor. 
He went and got his stuff. He went to get his stuff. But out on the way to get his stuff, now he's still got a promise. You're going to get your stuff back. But he loses again. A third of his army, 200 men said, I can't do it. I'm so tired. I'm confused. I don't know who I'm working for. I don't like water. I'm hungry. I got to sit right down. <laughs> Many of us would have sat with him and said, oh, I give up. But he acted. There's, there, there's something about action. And the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal in 2019, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Yeah. Matthew 12, 11 says from the days, or 11, 12 says from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold to it. Into evangelical circles has crept something of a consumer mentality. I don't know if you all ever see that. I see it traveling to all these churches. Well, I like church A because the preaching is good, but the music is awful. Church B, the, the, the music is great, but the preaching is weak. Church C, the preaching is good, and the music is good, but the coffee's bad. Now, Church D's got every single thing, great coffee, all of it. But when I went, nobody spoke to me. <laughs> Back in the day when this church was formed, there was a little bit of a, what I call a lay hold of mentality. I don't know if you understand what I mean by that. Lay hold. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twelve. Which one of you, if your sheep goes into the ditch, won't lay hold to it? Paul said in Philippians 3, this is the one thing I do. I press on to lay hold of that which Jesus has laid hold of for me. Even 1 Timothy 6 says we lay hold to eternal life. So 2019 is a time to lay hold of the promises that God has for you. That's what I want to do. Lay hold of it. So he acted. I, I don't know if those of you that are my age or older remember December 17th in 1996, the Peruvian embassy, the Japanese embassy in Peru was uh, taken hostage during a holiday party. There were 72 Japanese citizens and 14 Tupac Amaru guerrillas, Marxist guerrillas, terrorists came in and took them all hostage. Immediately, there was action. President Alberto Fujimoros, he got 140 trained soldiers and began to train them. Within a week, he had a plywood mock-up of, of the compound in the embassy. He began to train these elite. He consulted America and Israel and England, but... but it was a Peruvian operation. He dug a 190-foot tunnel 10 feet down underneath the embassy. It took 24 miners 24 hours a day and 200 truckloads of dirt. He put carpet down to help the sound. In fact, when it got loud, he'd march the, the, the tanks around the compound and blare militant music, put periscopes and surveillance devices and C4 at every single location, and the terrorists got a little lax. They started playing soccer every day at 3 o'clock on the second floor. Started playing soccer so, so everybody knew where they were. And on April 22nd, 1997, everything was in place. Everyone was trained. Everything was there and everything was ready. But somebody had to grab the walkie-talkie and say, go. And that may be where you are. You got everything prepared for victory. It's time to say, let's go. And Alberto Fujimoro said, go. And within 16 minutes, all 14 militants were dead. 71 hostages were rescued of the 72. They got their stuff back. 
Ecclesiastes says that there's a time to laugh and then there's a time to weep. I believe that there's a time to act. Once David got that hope going, he said, now let's go get our stuff, boys. And I don't want to bypass this too fast, but there's also a time to lead. There's a time to lead. Not every one of us are leaders. I know we tell our children, now stop being a follower. You need to be a leader. My philosophy is if we're all leaders, there's nobody on the curb clapping as we go by. I mean, come on. Somebody's got to clap as we go past. And I may not be able to lead you. It may not be my spiritual gift, but I got to lead me. Proverbs 25 says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. David had to lead. And I don't have time to get through all these passages, but he comes upon an Egyptian in this chapter. He says, where are you from and where are you going? And the guy says, well, my, my boss left me here three days ago. I, I got sick and my boss left me. That was bad. That was a death sentence for the boss. And so they, David brought him some raisin cakes and a cluster of raisin and some, and some water. And, and he says, all right, tell me about your work. Well, we went to the Chethrites, we went to Judah, and he tells David... We burn Ziklag to the ground. He's telling a man of war, I kidnapped your kids. David, you don't want to mess with David. They came to him one time in the Old Testament and says, hey, well, we killed your enemy, the king. Oh, you thought it was no big deal to kill the king? Hey, buddy, right there, grab a sword, kill this guy. He wasn't playing. He laid enemies down. It was a different time. It was a rated R kind of book. He, he would take a strand of rope and say, oh, y'all dead. All y'all dead. You get a live. You won the lottery. All y'all dead. You don't mess with David. He tells David, I took your stuff. But instead of having a knee-jerk reaction, a carnal moment of retribution, David saw an opportunity and said to the guy that he'd just been kind to, that others were unkind to, can you take me there? And the guy says, literally, swear to God that you won't kill me or report me to my boss. I won't. And that guy takes him down to the final stop of the train. Now, when you lead, you also got to be a leader of others. When they came back, before we get to that final stop, before they, when we came back, there were uh, w wicked and worthless men. Wicked and worthless. There's always wicked and worthless men. And they're probably the same guys that were picking up rocks to kill David. Those wicked and worthless men said, we're not going to give these 200 people who said, eh, I can't get across the brook. I'm too tired. Don't give them anything. Well, give them their wife and kids. Go on now, get. David said to these men, to the wicked and the worthless, no, we're not doing that. Are you out of your mind? You're not, we're not doing that. He established policy and leadership. From this day forward, the people with the gear get the same benefits as the people with the spear. He's a leader. And finally, recovery. Finally, recovery. Look what the Bible says about the recovery. Look what the Bible says about the recovery. Go get your stuff back. And then he, he brought them down. And there they were. I love this. And there they were, spread out all over the land. This is the enemy now. The Egyptian told him where to go. The African guy says, this is, where, this is how you get victory. Eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. I just want to see this replayed when I get to heaven. They're dancing and drinking. Can you imagine? 
We got his stuff. Hey! His kids are crying. Woo! And there are 400 sets of eyes, 800 eyes, give or take, in the woods looking at this. They have no idea. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, they'll say peace and safety and sudden destruction comes upon them. That's what happened to the enemies of God. And I see that scene like, like the enemy talking about your life. We had them in 2018. They're so depressed. And as Beyonce famously said, you must not know about me. There's some eyes. There's some eyes looking. My friend Lee McBride says, he uses me as a sermon illustration and says, and when he's preaching, hell had a staff meeting and said, who's responsible for Joe Phillips? He was on the way to the abortion clinic. Who's responsible for him? Somebody's head's going to roll. We had him, and then his parents got a horrible divorce, and, then, and he's still here. I'm going to kill somebody. Then he got into the ministry of all things and went through difficulties, and a church split, and he was going to quit, but well, I'm going to get somebody for this. It reminds me of uh, the miracle of the bluegrass. I don't know if you ever heard of the miracle of the bluegrass. If you're a Kentucky fan, you probably want to tune out right now. The miracle of the bluegrass happened in... Uh, 2002 between the number 16 ranked LSU Tigers and the lowly Kentucky Wildcats. And LSU was winning as predicted. But Kentucky came back on a 13-3 run, tied the game at 27, marched down to the 11-yard line. And uh, the big offensive tackle called their last timeout. So on first down, the coach of Kentucky sent in the field goal kicker, kicked it with 11 seconds left. They got a 30 to... 30 to th uh, 27 lead over the power pack LSU Tigers. Everybody starts going crazy. On the ensuing kickoff, they pin him down at the nine yard line. There's no chance, no hope. A quick out to the 26 yard line out of bounds. The quarterback, Randall, he, he didn't have a very strong arm. And so they hiked the ball. The stands start coming out. All the fans start piling on the goalpost. That's a picture of the Kentucky coach having a Gatorade bath. They just knew that Kentucky was going to win. Jefferson Pilot put up the wrong score on the television. But what happened was Randell threw the ball from his own nine-yard line way far away from the end zone. But somebody tipped it to a receiver named Devery Henderson who kept, happened to get right up under it and run straight in to win the game 33 to 30. And when I, I read about this in the woods and I think about that, I'm thinking about you. Maybe the enemy's partying over you, but there's a Hail Mary for you. His name is the Son of Mary, the Son of God. And as long as Jesus is alive, you got a chance to get your stuff back. Ten years ago, Dr. Rick Ross had asked me to join as a staff evangelist. I didn't know what I was doing or how to do it. I had to borrow money from my mom a year into it. I told someone Friday night, it's just starting evangelism. They're into it a year and they're suffering what I suffered. Borrowed money from my waitress mom, had my lights cut off. I didn't know if I was ever going to make it. 
I told that person, the devil tries to kill you in infancy. He tried to kill Moses in the Nile. He tried to kill Jesus because he knows if he can kill you at the beginning, he'll have victory over you at the end. But if he can't kill you, look out, buddy. Look out. Look out. Hey, if you'd have told me when I was on the phone with my mom 10 years ago that these statistics were possible, that I'd be able to buy five plane tickets to Bangkok, Thailand for a film team, I would have said, you need a team challenge. You need a drug rehab. But with God, all things are possible. Feel the loss, but go get your stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.